You're listening to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. Welcome to the Big House Bleachers Podcast. I'm Michael Smeltzer. I'm here with my good buddy, Matt Hartwell, as always. Matt, how you feeling? Feeling good, buddy. It's uh, been a, not a slow week in the news cycle, so very locked in on Michigan football this week, which has been great. Happy to have a guest here on the pod. So uh, other than that, ready to get into it, my friend. Yeah, we have a very special guest. And at this point, I feel like she's been on twice now, so she's almost not a guest, right? You're just, you're just <laughs> yeah. fa- family at this point. Uh, <laughs> it is with great pleasure I introduce to our listeners once again, uh, Lexi Westert. Good to see you. Good to see you guys, too. Thanks for having me on. Did I say your last name right? Westert? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay, no good. N. <laughs> got it. Got it. All right. Well, we've got a great show lined up for our listeners today. We're going to talk a little bit of recruiting, a little bit of the news cycle. Um, there's some interesting things going on in the world of Michigan football as we are within two months of kickoff. So things are starting to you were starting to get those little pre-season jitters and oh, and yeah. uh, the butterflies are real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we're going to do some burning questions on the offensive side of the ball. We actually did defense last week. So, Lexi, you get to come in for the fun stuff, the offensive side of the ball. And then uh, we'll cut to uh, behind enemy lines week two UNLV segment that I've been doing with my company, Wolverine Chronicle. But to get things started off, let's talk about a little bit of good news Elias Rudolph, four-star, commits to Michigan earlier in the week. Uh, Lexi, because you're the guest, we'll go to you first. You feeling good about this recruiting class or what? Yeah, I mean, you know how people overreact on social media and like, you know, think it's like so bad. But you look at this class that they're building and it's methodical. You know, like I think they're really, um, they're killing it on the recruiting trail. Clink Scale's doing great. Alston's like good. They're the ones that tied, you know, um, Rudolph to come in and commit. And, you know, there's never enough good things to say about getting like a secondary, you know, to be strong and get good guys, because that's that's what matters a lot, you know, on a defense. So I'm excited. Heck yeah. Matt, have you watched any film of, of Rudolph? Have you have you broken him down yet? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I uh, I think kind of he might be coming in a little bit undersized. So hopefully uh, Ben Herbert and company get their hands on him and kind of start to mold him in the Wolverine way of of getting in shape and getting tough, but coming in a little bit more undersized than uh, some of the others in his position. But other than that, probably like the closest player comp I could come up with would probably be like a Jalen Harrell. You know what I mean? Very uh, shift right off the point of attack. Uh, very good at getting to the quarterback. Very shifty. So very excited about this commitment, man, and this recruiting class in general, just continuing to pick up steam. Yeah, you say I just Jaylen. realized I said secondary, too, by the way, I because I know he's an edge. I'm like, why did I say secondary on that? Just well, he's to on correct the, myself. No, you're good. He's on the defensive side of the ball. And actually, mm-hmm. Lexi, I, so I was watching some film of him, and I saw him drop back in coverage a few times, which was interesting. Oh, yeah? So, I didn't watch some more highlights. I really haven't been like, focusing on him just kind of got the overview you know when he committed yeah. and stuff so i'm excited it's hard to keep up with all these high school guys <laughs> I, I mean there, there's so many of them but 
And I don't get so invested right away because these kids just, you know, until they sign that letter, I'm like, I'm just riding the wave, you know, like, hey, it's cool. You want to come here? Let's just hope it, you know, follows through at this point. You know what I mean? But I mean, yeah. Yeah. And the the thing I love about Rudolph is, Matt, you mentioned he might be a little undersized, but he's long. He has like a, a length to him. I was watching some some clips right before right before we recorded today. And and he's one of those guys that if he gets within like five or six feet of the ball carrier, the dude's going down no matter what. Like nobody was slipping tackles from this guy. Um, Very versatile. I saw a blocked kick. I even saw them line him up on the offensive line, which like I know it's high school. And so a lot of times they put their best players in a lot of different positions, but uh, he seems incredibly versatile. Um, So anyway, that's a good sign. We, We had a a uh, recruiting L last week. We got a recruiting W to kick off the show this week. That's good. Um, in other news, the Michigan made episode one university of Michigan releases some footage just to get our maize and blue blood boiling a little bit, boiling in a good way. That is um, getting ready for the season. Uh, did you guys, did you guys check out this, this uh, little segment that Michigan football put out? Lexi, have you seen it? I have watched it four times. Um, (laughs) No, you know, I just love it because I feel like for so long there was no transparency in the offseason. You know, kind of Harbaugh had the team kind of quiet. You never really knew what was going on. It wasn't clear what their plan was and what they really wanted to go towards and work towards. And I just feel like these last couple of years have just been so refreshing, you know, and we finally get to see what's on the mind of like what these kids are going through and, and how they're feeling. And I was so pumped. Like you can tell they're hungry and, and they want that next step. And, you know, it's it, it was an awesome episode, really well produced and stuff. So I'm excited for more of them to come out. <laughs> yeah, Matt, I'm assuming you've seen it uh, more than once as well. I love how we're all just like keeping casual count on how many times we've watched it. Uh, it's been like six times for me. I uh, I love every bit of it. They're obviously speaking very candidly about uh, their pursuit of a national championship this year, which, you know, I, I love it. It's just kind of what's in the back of everybody's minds already. You know what I mean? Because at the real nitty gritty business end of all this, like, yeah, Michigan has a great team. They've got a great coaching staff, but like nobody knows what the future holds beyond this season, right? If uh, Michigan even sniffs the kind of expectations that they're hoping to to get this season, a lot of these guys, a lot of these coaches are going to be picking up like substantial interest uh, from other like big higher paying jobs. So I, I think the whole team kind of knows that and they're really just pouring everything into this season and uh, it like gives me goosebumps to talk about it, but it's uh, it's going to be a special season, man. I don't think there's any, any way that it can't be. Well, the one thing, the one, my main takeaway from episode one was that Chris Jenkins has the coolest voice in like the history of voices. <laughs> That dude, like, I would do anything to uh, have that guy's uh, voice for podcasting. He's just, he's just so smooth. I mean, and, and you know, that's a good segue to our next topic. Uh, Matt threw this in the show notes, actually. Uh, Chris Jenkins is being mocked uh, as a, not being mocked, like made fun of, being mocked as in uh, mock drafts. Uh, he's being mocked as a first round pick in next year's NFL draft. 
Um, and we've already established he has a first round voice, but does this dude also <laughs> have uh, first round capabilities next year? Lexi, we'll go, we'll go to you first again. Are you, are you thinking, can he sneak into the, the first round of the NFL draft? Yeah, I mean, I know last year he was kind. Of, it was kind of like I think a late second round. He was kind of mocked to if he didn't come back. But I think coming back was really important, not only for like the team and the chemistry, but for his draft stock. He's a dog. Like he, I think he's gonna like have a great year. And there is no doubt in my mind that he could make it into the first round. That's what Michigan does: is develop that talent and get them prepared for the pros. So you know, I, I'm so excited he came back for another year and and. It's just going to, it's going to show too on the field. Matt first rounder. Yeah, I think he'll, uh, he'll sneak into the first round. I don't know how high, um, if, if you look at his size right now, or I think he posted like a recent, uh, clip of his weight, he's just under Mozzie Smith level size. I haven't seen enough on film to, to justify me saying that he's a superstar without just like total bias being a little bit into account there but uh but i think that he does there is an, a world where he sneaks into uh the first round probably between that mozzie smith point and the end of the first i would say if i was guessing right now but who knows he could be even more elusive than mozzie have an even more explosive season we don't know i mean he looks the part he looks like a total dog so I'm going to bet that he has a monstrous season, but for now I'm going to put him right in that uh, tier where I just said. Yeah, he does have a Mozzie Smith trajectory. It really feels that way. You know, big, big run stuffer, uh, solid guy, freak athlete, uh, maybe won't fill up the stat sheet so much, kind of like Mo Mozzie didn't really fill up the stat sheet, uh, but at the end of the day, his measurables and his impact on a game really equal first round talent. I'm, so I'm going to agree with you guys. What kind of Michigan fans would we be if we were like, no, no, he's not going to go in the first. It's like, of course we think he could go in the first round. He's an animal. Um, that's cool. By the way, uh, Matt, did I ever tell you, this is a complete uh, tangent here. Did I ever tell you how I met Lexi? No. Like in, so. in person. So Michael, I this. just told the story yesterday. That's so funny. Yeah. Get, so get, get this dude. So Lexi and I had never met in person, of course. I don't, I don't even live uh, in Michigan. I think a lot of, a lot of our listeners know that. Um, and so for me, I'm, I'm traveling to get there a lot. And uh, Lexi, you live, do you live in Ann Arbor or Detroit? You live in the area, um, right? Yeah, I live on Farmington Hills, actually. So it's like a suburb of Metro Detroit. Yeah, like but that. you're there. It's easy to get there. Yeah, 35, I've seen a, 40 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I've seen a list of all the Michigan games you're going to this year. You're going to like all of them. I'm so jealous. But I know, uh, I'm so excited. And, Anyway, I'm there for the spring game, right? And Lexi and I know each other via the internet and via this podcast, never met in person. I'm eating breakfast at a nice little restaurant in, uh, in Ann Arbor. I, I finish up. I run into our friend, uh, you know, uh, Sports Jim, Sports and Chup. Our, our, you know, our, <laughs> I run into him at the restaurant. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. I'm at, I make a couple like catch up wisecracks to him. And then I'm on the way out and uh, I see Lexi. And then almost simultaneously, I see uh, Joey Baker, Michigan forward, <laughs> Joey Baker, walking into the restaurant. And I'm like, what is going on? And Lexi opens the door for Joey ba Baker, looks me dead in the eyes and is like, did I just hold the door for Joey Baker? And I was like, uh, yeah, <laughs> it was the weirdest thing. It was like this like synchronous yeah. moment. Um, like we didn't even say hi to each other. I just like looked at you and I was like, did I just hold the door? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Michael, what's up? <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. I would have anyway. been like, do you know him? Can you introduce me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was just uh, so, I mean, I always hold the door open for people. And, but then, like, all of a sudden, I'm like, wow, that guy's really tall. Wait. And then I, like, look at you, and it was just, yep. <laughs> yeah, just, hap- just happened to be Joey Baker standing there. So, anyway, <laughs> uh, random aside, but it's a funny story. Uh, Matt, you mentioned a little bit about um, the expectations of this team and that we don't, we don't really know what we have, but we, we feel like we might have a national championship contending team. It makes sense. We've been to the playoffs two years in a row. And uh, Reese Davis ha- has quickly, be, uh, you know, he's starting to cement himself as, as uh, Michigan fans' favorite, you know, ESPN guy all of a sudden because he, at the end of last year, and then now he's, he's holding to his guns, he's been referring to Michigan as the best team in the country, the number one team in the country. He, he uh, I think he, he's probably an AP voter, right? So I think he's saying that he's voting Michigan number one overall. So Matt, I'm going to go to you first on this one since you brought it up. Uh, it, how do we feel about that? Do we, do we think that Reese is right on the money? Is Michigan the number one team? Do th- do they deserve to be number one? Do we like that kind of attention this early in the season? I think Michigan fans are eating it up because Reese Davis has always like been known to be very like grounded with these types of uh, predictions and decisions and things like that. Never really strays too far from like the usual su- uh, suspects and stuff like that. So um, I think kind of the primary his primary reasoning for naming. Uh, Michigan as highly as he is, is the returning quarterback production in uh, J.J. McCarthy, which I think is an interesting point, an interesting argument. Obviously, I'm not going to go. I don't know if I'm going to name Michigan as like the number one team in the country uh, because of it. We still kind of have a lot to see. But, uh, you know, it is uh, very interesting and very different from what we're used to. So as a fan, I'm eating it up as uh, I'm also kind of treading with a little bit of caution because uh, it's the same as the Michigan made, like it kind of adds this like sudden death kind of like atmosphere vibe over the season a little bit. But also I think that our guys are up for the challenge. So I'm proceeding with a little bit of caution, but at the same time, like I'm eating it up. Reese Davis, thanks for number one. Let's go. (laughs) 100%. Lexi, Um, you feel the same way? Yeah, and I mean, I and like I, I agree with Matt that I don't know if I can necessarily necessarily say it's because of a quarterback. I would just say it's returning eighty percent of our starters in total. I mean, having that chemistry, that much of a chemistry continue, especially after going you know undefeated and winning the Big Ten before going to the playoffs, is huge. Um, you know, I think this it's going to take the whole team um, to get to that next level. But uh, we're all eating it up, and I mean, at this point. It's like no turning back, you know. We say um, it's like natty or bust, and you really mean it because you don't know the future. Next year, our schedule gets a little crazy, you know, and who knows who we're going to lose. So it's it really is like a do or die, and it's going to be very, like, anxious every all season long, but we live for it. Michigan is building it for that. So, you know, let's go. I'm so pumped. <laughs> I, I am equally as pumped, but I, like, I'm so nervous. My, my little heart cannot take it, you know, because, because we're like, you know, we're, we're, we're rightfully so identifying this year as like the team that has the best chance, you know, th- this is the team that's had the best chance preseason, like, you know, 
since since 97, right? Like this this is the the team that can do it. But you just don't know like sports is sports are so unpredictable. We don't know if the the new guys on the O-line are going to have chemistry even though they look like the best O-line in the country. We don't know about uh, so, you know, some teams are just weirdly turnover prone and that can affect games. We don't know that, uh, knock on wood. We don't know, in, you know, health, health and injuries like that. That's always a thing. And so for me, like, yes, Nobody, I feel like, I mean, I don't mean to interrupt you, Michael. Nobody saw it. the Illinois game coming last right. year. You know what I mean? Nobody expected Illinois to be that competitive. Nobody expected Blake Corum to get injured. I almost had a heart attack like on several occasions during that game. Uh, But like, we don't know if there could be an Illinois somewhere waiting in this schedule, you know? So uh, we'll see, man. It's it's getting kind of crazy. And that's the thing. That Maryland game, like that Maryland game is like really eerie to me. So I'm like, just be on your toes. Well, in Nebraska kind of freaks me out because they, they still, they still, they're able to bring in a few good, talented guys. They're going to have a new coach this year. So that a new coach means new energy. And so everybody looks at this schedule and they're like, oh, they're going to be, you know, eight and no heading into the Penn State game or whatever it is. And it's, it's like, well, yeah, I agree. I, I think we should be, but you got to, you got to play the games on your schedule. And we, we literally don't know how good some of these teams are going to be. And so, uh, Reese Davis naming us number one. That's that's great. I don't like it because I think it puts a target on our back. I I'll take number two all day long, and then <laughs> and then earn that number one spot when we beat Penn State and Ohio State. And so, um, yeah, I think we're all kind of on the same page there. It's like I I do love the team talking about it though. So when like when when we talk about the segments that Michigan is releasing, I don't feel like they're saying it in a cocky or arrogant way. I think they're saying it in a like work hard humility, like natty or bust. Like our goal is the national championship. I, I think this team and this coaching staff has shown uh, w- w- kind of like the language they used uh, referring to Ohio state the last couple of years, they've shown that an ability to manifest victories when they set goals. And I think they're just setting a higher goal this season. And so I, I really like that. That is interesting, though. They're really not speaking about it from like a position of like arrogance, like we know we're going to do this. Like it's not like that kind of how it was entering the TCU game last year. It's more of like uh, like they know they have something to prove, but they're up for the test type of talk. Yeah, 100 (laughs) percent. Um, and you know, we're talking about some of those coaches and some of those young coaches that make a difference on this team. Um, on, uh, Jansen this week, we had, uh, Grant Newsom and Ron Bellamy. So the wide receiver and tight ends coach, um, uh, Matt, I know you listened to it, Lexi. I'm not sure if you did, but, uh, did, did you hear did, did, No, did you get I'm going to watch it after this for sure. Yes. Yeah, so anyway, it was, it was awesome in the trenches with John Jansen. It's a staple Matt and I are always listening to it, but, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a vibe with, uh, the passing game, you know, and, and Matt and I were texting before the show a little bit about like, do we, do we believe them when they say it's going to be a little bit more 50, 50, they're going to air it out. Like Lexi, do you believe that this team, uh, will air the ball out? You know, I think that they realize at this point that that is what is needed for this next step and probably to win a title. I mean, yes, the run game is excellent, but you need 
to air it out all year. So then when you do need to air it out in the playoffs, it's not like, oh, this isn't something we do often. So I'm praying because that is absolutely that like missing piece that I think we really need to be the number one team in the country. So if they're saying it, I'm just eating it all up right now, guys. It's the Kool-Aid is being <laughs> chugged. It's, it, it's, it's going to happen. I'm so excited. <laughs> Matt, do you believe these coaches or are they liars? <laughs> yeah, there's like, <laughs> there's no stop on the Kool-Aid right now. I mean, it's just flowing. It's leaking out of the refrigerator. Um, and I mean, shout out to, first of all, side topic, shout out to Grant Newsom, right? Who's like, coaching the shit out of Michigan tight ends right now, uh, appearing on In the Trenches to give us updates on his coaching. So shout out to Grant Newsom and what he's become at the University of Michigan. But I do think that uh, that we're going to see this offense make a little bit of room and execute more on some of these passing attempts that they have. So I think that uh, a lot of people, you know, the argument is there's only so much so much uh, stuff to go around the table. Well, I think that we're going to see it come to fruition in the form of not missing on miss on opportunities. And we're going to see it in the form of a little bit of uptick, maybe not 50, 50, but maybe like uh, 55, 45 or something like that. Who knows? But I think we'll see a little bit of uh, uptick in production for sure. Yeah, I don't want them to stray away from like what this is the core built off to, you know, because we've got, you know, the best duo and running backs and in football and the greatest, you know, offensive line. But yeah, it's just ready to branch out a little bit more. So let's hope they do. Well, I've been on record on this podcast, on the Out of the Blue podcast at Mason Brew and all over Twitter and every social account. I've been on record <laughs> saying that JJ is going to throw 37 passing touchdowns, which just uh, that obliterates the Michigan all-time record. And so it would be foolish of me to back out now and say, no, I don't believe them. So, But I actually think it's a little bit of what Lexi led with, which is I think they're like, do we need to run the ball against East Carolina and Bowling Green? Like, hell no. We could, we, I mean, I'm sorry, pass the ball. Like we, 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 could, we could run the ball all game against those teams and be just fine. Um, but I don't think the coaching staff is going to do that for exactly the reason Lexi mentioned against Ohio State, against potentially Georgia or Bama or whoever we might see in the postseason. If we get there, uh, there will be teams that can stop the run or at least slow down the run. Um, and we're going to have to air it out. So I, I think this coaching staff has had the perfect like lessons that they've learned over the last two years. And so it, it does feel like. Uh, the next step involves a little bit of passing. We'll see if he gets 37 touchdowns or not. But uh, is records 24, right? 20, I think it's or 25. Yeah, 25. yeah. It's, 25. It, it, okay. it's I knew it was like mid 20s. So. Embarrassing record. It's not a very <laughs> good record. So yeah, bad. it's so bad. <laughs> well, that actually transitions us perfectly into the meat and potatoes of this podcast. And so the whole, we're we're gonna do do a little burning questions on the offensive side of the ball. Um, we'll go around. We've each prepared one burning question for each position group, and we might as well start off talking about the quarterback position. Um, Matt, this burning question segment was originally your idea, so I'm going to go to you first here. Um, what is your, and I, let me just say, I'm going to say on record here that if your question doesn't involve 
involve uh, Alex orgy, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed in you. <laughs> so what is your uh, quarterback burning question for this week? It's not. It's not a Alex orgy take this time, buddy. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But Man, turning uh, your back on question, an orgy. I know. I'm sorry. This question was actually <laughs> spawned by you, though, because we all know you love J.J. McCarthy. Everyone loves J.J. McCarthy, but Mike can say no wrong about J.J. McCarthy. It's a known fact on this podcast. So, Mike, <laughs> and also, Lexi, what is one thing that J.J. McCarthy needs to improve on heading into this season? How could you be so blasphemous as to suggest <laughs> That JJ, his our Lord and Savior McCarthy, the holy man, the meditating Messiah, the happy-faced assassin, needs to improve upon anything. Um, but in all seriousness, no, he's young. He's a junior. He could he could totally improve upon some things. I yeah, but I, I'm having trouble identifying like a clear area of weakness for him. Um, he <laughs> he did. I knew it. Yeah, I I'm gonna go to go to Lexi first. Let me think about this, Lexi. Let's is there any, any part of JJ's game that you want to see an improvement on? Yeah, and I mean, it's not like this like huge thing, you know. But I just think about the last two years, um, you know, kind of in big moments. We think about Michigan State 2021. We think about, and that was like obviously like a ridiculous situation. But you know, we think about even TCU, you know, in the playoffs. Um, just correcting those little mistakes that can end up being big, you know, the turnovers, the stuff. But I think that that will come in throwing the ball more. You know, he's going to be airing it out hopefully more. So, you know, it won't be as maybe a chance to throw an interception. Um, but it, I think year three, JJ is going to be everything we hoped and prayed for all this time. So, you know, his first year of being the full starter, not having to worry about in the beginning of competing and, and if he's going to be it, um, those things are going to correct. So you're going to see that those little weaknesses that he does have improve. Yeah. And he uh, he put on a little bit of size, which is good to see because, you know, he did some amazing things last season, but he also got banged up a little bit. You know, you saw him. Uh, during Iowa get smacked around a little bit for a period. It was like really the first time that we had seen JJ get a little bit rattled at that point. But uh, when Michigan faced Iowa last year, I think right before the second half when Michigan kind of took over on uh, its next gear, we saw JJ get shaken up a little bit. And uh, now he's kind of coming in this season a little bit bigger, probably in a better position to handle uh, some of those moments and stuff like that. So I love to see that. Yeah, I still Mike's don't have still anything. got nothing over here. Yeah, yeah. I still, I'm, <laughs> I'm like thinking about all the elements of his game and like, uh, like, would I would like to see less turnovers? Like, yeah, but that, but that's also not a fair criticism because the dude really didn't turn the ball over much. So that, so there's, I, I think that there are things that will just get a little bit better in all areas. I think his accuracy will get a little bit better. I think his comfort and toughness on the field will get a little bit better. I think his uh, knowing when to tuck it and run and and take a hit, knowing when to get out of bounds, I think that'll get a little bit better. Um, so I, I, it's hard to identify one specific thing with him. Um, I, You're good. I tell dude. you what, I just like to see you sweat. I'm I'm just <laughs> yeah. It's it's hard over here, man. I can't see through my my 
maize and blue glasses, you know, my bias over I mean, the man Um, in all fairness is like perfect, so. He really is. Well, he's just so humble and just such a good spirited soul, you know. I know everyone kind of like says whatever, but you just how he like meditates before the game. I'm telling you, meditation like brings out the best in people. So you just know that he's got a clear head going into it. There's just little tweaks that have to be made. So that's why I think it's just not no problem that that'll be corrected, you know. Absolutely. So my question, since it all also has to do with JJ, I'll jump in and then we'll go to you, Lexi. My question's very predictable and very obvious. I'm sorry, but I, I just <laughs> I had to bring it back up. My question is will JJ break the touchdown record this season. A simple yes or no is fine. Uh, will, Lexi, will he, will he break the record? Yes, he will. <laughs> Let's go. Let's <Matt>. go. <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and my answer is, of course, yes, he's going to obliterate the record. Uh, all right, let's go to Lexi. What is your quarterback burning question for this season? Yeah, so mine was, was originally kind of just, is he going to be more involved with like running plays? Because we know how great of a runner he is. But you kind of like said that, yeah, I think that 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 will kind of correlate and tweaking all those things. But I'll say, who do we think is going to be the number two QB this season? Who do we think is going to earn that spot? And, you know, obviously saying when when we're blowing people out and they step in, you know, because JJ is going to be leading this team all season. But I'm really intrigued to see who that number two is going to be. I'm going to go ahead and say Davis Warren. I, I think they brought in uh, Tuttle to be the number two guy. And I think he has a lot of uh, tangible attributes that would make him the number two guy. But Davis Warren's just one of those gamers, you know? He, he, like, he beat leukemia, for God's sake. He's going to beat out Alex Orgy <laughs> and Jack Tuttle for the number two spot. So I don't know, Matt, do you see it uh, similarly to that? I do. Yeah. You know, I'm very high, obviously, on uh, Alex Orgy, but I think I really, at the end of the day, see it similarly to everybody else. I think he's more used uh, on the field, like in certain packages, but probably not the number two guy. I think Davis Warren, like if you just listened, like he was on In the Trenches recently. And if you just listen to the guy talk, I think he's very determined to get this spot and he's been fighting really hard. So I don't know. I'm kind of a fan of the guy. I think he, he's he got the number two spot, and we just see Alex Orgy more in like uh, sparingly being used in the field in certain packages and stuff like that. All right, let's move on to the running backs. That's a fun position to talk about at Michigan. <laughs> um, Lexi, you got any burning questions for the, the running backs this season? Yeah, it's kind of like a two-parter, but how do we think the splits are going to look considering that Donovan and Corm stay healthy all year? And will that impact their Heisman, you know, uh, predictions? Matt, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, that's interesting because, I mean, it's a little bit of a conundrum because you've got Corum coming back, who's extremely talented. Edwards, who seems like he's poised for like a Heisman type level campaign almost. So it's tough for me. I'm a huge Edwards fan, but you got to love Corum. I think that Corum still gets his still gets his carries, maybe not as many as last season, still gets over a thousand yards. And we still see Donovan become available in the passing game a little bit more to kind of 
supplement that and get him on the field as much as possible. But I think Corum still leads a little bit in that uh, carries race. Yeah, I've been feeling I've been feeling a little bit like uh, Donovan and Corum are going to be like 50-50 because Donovan Edwards is so good. And there's been a lot of talk about about getting Donovan Edwards some more carries. And then you think about the Blake Corum injury and you think, well, the coaching staff wants to kind of manage his load a little bit. And then this week, for whatever reason, uh, Twitter went crazy with Blake Corum highlights, right? And I was sit- <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting there watching Blake Corum highlights, and I'm like remembering, like this dude is, I mean, he, he he's unbelievable. And so, Truly. I I think he's going to get sixty percent of the carries. And and when I say sixty percent, I don't mean all the carries. I just mean, uh, you know, when the games are competitive, uh, assuming both people are healthy, because because we have to realistically think like in the second half of some of these games, we might not even see Corum, but I, I do think he's going to get 60% of the meaningful carries in uh, in game action this season. Let me say this. If, if it's closer to 50, 50 in carries, I think Donovan honestly might even outrush Corum. I'll say that because yeah. I think that uh, that Donovan's just got an excellent ability once he gets out in open space like that to just stay gone. <laughs> Whereas Corum, a little bit smaller, obviously still very quick and powerful in his own right. But uh, Donovan, you know, I've seen him just escape like packs of people. So I think that if carries come down to being that close by the end of the season, we might even see Donna the race a little bit closer than people are are thinking. I just love like how even he's just got a good arm, Donovan does. You know, you're like, hey, run back there for the flea flicker again, just throw that. Like he's just he's just so talented. Like I just I think that he will make a huge impact, but you're right. When it comes to the carries, I think Corm's gonna be that lead guy. But Donovan's just so versatile that he can kind of move around the field wherever he's needed and and really succeed there. So be exciting. Well, there's a good chance Donovan gets drafted ahead of Blake Corum just based on his size and, and ability. And Matt, Matt, I know you, you've said uh, that you think he might be the first Wolverine off the board um, in, in next year's NFL draft. So that'll be interesting to see. So speaking of the running backs, what's your, what's your burning question, Matt? My burning question is, uh, is honestly, and no, no shade to Khalil Mullings at all, uh, because the dude I think is going to be a weapon on the goal line and in short yardage situations, but who is RB3 not including Khalil Mullings right now? I'll, I'll jump in and say that I, I think everybody is just ready to to throw away CJ Stokes. And I'm not, I'm not ready to do that, man. I I think CJ Stokes, he's got some experience. Uh, Benjamin Hall is a very sexy answer right now, based on what he did in the spring game. But I'm thinking that CJ Stokes is probably that guy. Well, you're saying, are you saying that if Khalil Mullings doesn't count or are you, are you just asking straight up who the number three guy is? I'm saying just taking him out of the equation just because I'm feeling that I don't know if, I don't know. I could be dead wrong. He could be used as just a straight up running back, like, like Dono or Blake or something, but uh, I'm expecting him to be used more as like a short yardage goal line back, kind of how we saw him last season. So if we're just thinking, a running back, 
Michigan running back. Who who are you thinking kind of takes up that spot? I'll say CJ Stokes, man, and and I have a very low level of confidence on that. So don't so don't quote me there. But uh, Lexi, who do you like in that spot? Yeah, I'm actually right there with you. I know like the spring game kind of you know got some sparkle in some people's eyes, but um, I think that he's. And it's kind of hard when you just got two running backs like Corm and Donovan. You're like, okay, I got to figure out what I can do. But the experience, you know, the learning that you're behind these two guys, but when that's needed, you got to step up. And I think that's going to come with the veteran experience he's going to be having in this. So um, I like him at the third position for that. Good question, Matt. That, yeah, that mm-hmm. really had me thinking. I was not ready there, for so. it. I was like, yeah. yeah making like, y'all think. You do. So my- <laughs> My question, I'm I'm actually going to the freshman here. So this was good. We kind of hit we kind of hit everybody. So between Cole Cabana and Benjamin Hall, who do we think is going to have a bigger impact on the season? And then kind of a side question attached to this is like do, do one or both of them redshirt? Like, you know, and cuz that will come into play, but um the main question is just who who do you think has a bigger impact on the season? Cole Cabana or Benjamin Hall? I mean, I kind of, I, I like like the Benjamin Hall. Like I said, I think that's going to be like the way he showed in spring for being that freshman is, is exciting. Um, I, I'm excited about Cole Cabana too, though, but it's kind of hard to, to say because you've got like three great guys ahead of that. Um, but I do think they redshirt because that's, you know, you want to save that, that running game these next few years for as long as you can. But I think Benjamin Hall is going to have that edge over Cole this year, um, but we'll see what happens. I uh, I don't know. That's a tough one, honestly. I'm pretty high on uh, on Cole Cabana just getting minutes kind of wherever. I think that he'll also be making an impact on special teams regardless if he's the returning guy or not. I still think that they're going to use him for stuff on special teams, even if it's just miscellaneous special team stuff. Um, so I think that Cole Cabana probably gets used more, maybe has more of an opportunity to make an impact. Whereas Benjamin Hall is probably gonna maybe redshirt just because of how many running backs are, are, are deep on the bench. So I don't know. I'd probably say Cole Cabana if I'm just guessing. I have absolutely no idea. That's why, that's why I asked the question. I, I think, I, I think I agree with you though, Matt. I think Benjamin Hall might be a little bit ahead purely in the backfield from a running back standpoint, but that's based on the fact that we haven't really seen Cole Cabana. He's been a little banged up guy. He's clearly got to put a little bit of weight on, but I, I do think, um, I think he might be, uh, our, our, possibly our kick returner that actually that goes into my special teams burning question. So I'm not going to spoil that too much, but, uh, we'll go with Cole Cabana because he'll be involved, uh, in special teams, most likely. Um, wide receivers. I'll go ahead and throw mine out uh, right now, and mine is a very subjective question. It's simply: Is Peyton O'Leary actually a stud? Is this guy actually going to kill it this year, or is what we saw in the spring game just one of these weird uh, flashes of brilliance that doesn't pan out? I I don't know. I think that we're probably going to see him maybe take a step forward and be that third guy. But I don't know. I think there's a lot of people still sleeping on Tyler Morris and even Darius Clemens a little bit. I think that uh, 
there's still a place for both of those guys on this team in that role. So I'm not ready to uh, to sell the farm on that take yet, but I do think that that he's been fighting for some time now and that uh, he'll probably get some opportunities to take that spot this season. Yeah, Lexi? I'm I'm way too I'm way too high on the combo of CJ and Roman. Like I just think that it's just gonna be um it's gonna be great with them too. Um so I don't know. I really don't. I'm just I, like I said, I just yeah, I'm just too excited about what the possibilities are and they're talking about, you know, airing it out, going more, you know, like passing. So it's gonna be exciting between those two. Yeah, I'm going to just say yes. Peyton O'Leary's a stud. I, I mean, th- th- this guy, like he, uh, some of the plays that he made in the spring game, like a lot of people are like, oh, it's just the spring game. Like you can't, you can't count that for anything. Some of the plays he was making were like, just like wildly impressive. You know, the kinds of plays where I don't care. I don't care who's playing defense. Like he was working Amarion Walker. He was just working him in the spring game. So uh, I'm going to say he's definitely a stud. Uh, let's move on to the tight ends here. And, and by the way, guys, I did just text my, my interview I got at the top of the hour. I told him we we're going to push it 15 minutes because we're, we're getting into some good stuff on the podcast here. So we got plenty of time. Um, tight end position, Matt, I'm going to go to you because the tight ends are kind of your guys. You've always been really in depth on this, this particular tight end field. Uh, yeah, and I actually your- have like a a wide receiver tight end question combo. I'm just going to kind of tie it all in. Basically, who do you guys see as a, as kind of a bigger, I don't know, a bigger potential threat for opposing teams on this Wolverine team? The wide receivers or the tight ends? You know, one might actually like stop and think about it if you think about just the depth of the actual tight end position and how involved those guys are. So what do you guys think? I'll, I'll jump right <laughs> yeah, in. You can go I, first. I, I, I'm going to piggyback on what Lexi just said, which is uh, she's pretty high on these wide receivers. I am too. And now don't get me wrong. Colston Loveland is, is, in, is incredible. He's going to be incredible. He's going to be like Jake, Butt status um, that actually might have something to do with my question in just a second. Uh, AJ, AJ Barner, Matthew Hibner. Like, I, I think the thing about Michigan and, and Jim Harbaugh in particular is the number two tight end is like one of the best positions to be in, in a Jim Harbaugh offense is cause, cause he always, he always goes to that number two tight end. It's like Luke Schoonmaker made a living when Eric all was the, the primary focus. And so I think we're going to see AJ Barner have a huge impact. Now, with all of that being said, I've said I believe Roman Wilson could be a thousand-yard receiver this year. I think Cornelius Johnson is obviously a very good, talented, experienced guy. And I think the kicker here is, and this is a little bit of a trick I'm throwing into your question, Matt, but Donovan Edwards is going to line up at receiver sometimes. And so if if we're if we're counting Donovan Edwards in that receiver group, then I'm going to say the receivers have a bigger impact than the tight ends. Yeah, Love absolutely. Yeah, that's that's a great answer for sure. Because you you do think even I mean Blake had some receiving last year too, so it's like you got really like four guys you know that are veterans who are going to be very good. Um, but 
I am excited about Colson Loveland. I'm I'm excited about what his impact would be in, in Barner too. So we'll see. Surprise me. Make me wrong, I guess. I don't care. Just, just win the games. <laughs> <laughs> just win the games. We could end the podcast with that. Just just win the games. Like after all this talking, just win the games. Um, Lexi, it sounds like your your tight end question might be similar to mine. So I'll let you go first. What is your burning question for the tight ends this season? Well, I just I, I wanted to ask too that if you guys think that Colston will continue. Um, he was just so high at the end of the season, you know, and in that Big Ten championship game that can he continue that being kind of like the second tier under what this wide receiver room is going to be doing? So let me I'm going to just I'm going to piggyback on that question and we'll make our <laughs> two questions one question. So I, I had a similar question, but I, I went ahead and just said, do we believe that Colston Loveland can can surpass Jake Butt numbers because that that's the that's the talk right now is everybody's comparing him to Jake Butt. Will he be better than Jake Butt? To put that in perspective, Jake Butt's junior year, he had 654 receiving yards and three touchdowns. Then his senior year, he had 546 yards and four touchdowns. Both were all American seasons. Um Matt, well, since since we both asked a question, I'll I'll go to you here. Do you, do you think he's going to continue the momentum like Lexi said and then perhaps even reach uh, Jake Butt status? Yeah, I absolutely do. It's really just a question of if he's going to get the targets to be able to facilitate that, I think is the real question. I think that he's his ceiling is even higher than Jake Butt's, if you're asking me, um, just off of initial initial reaction from his last season that's kind of where i would peg his ceiling to be but i just don't know because you've got the uh the incoming aj barner who's got an also very high ceiling that really didn't get the opportunities that he should have gotten at his school in indiana at the time so it's going to be interesting man i don't know how it's all going to work um I don't know if Loveland is in for a a massive season because of it, but I do think we still see an an excellent uh, season from him, and I think that he still draws a lot of draft hype. Whether uh, no matter when he goes, I think that people are going to notice him after this season. There's been a lot of people sleeping on him with these uh, mockups and charts and stuff like that. I've been seeing a lot of. Colson Loveland's name not on those that's going to change this season so I'm pretty high on him it's just a matter of if he'll get that opportunity so Lexi let me throw it back at you do you think do you think he'll do it do you think he'll continue that momentum yeah I really do um you know I like his size he is very similar to Jake Butt and you know with the way that the tight end room has gone in these last couple years under this Michigan offense there's no reason that he couldn't have that and really stand out and get on those lists, which I totally see happening. Yeah, I, you know, I'm looking at Jake Butt's numbers and I'm I'm thinking the yardage might be tough, especially Jake Butt's junior year yardage, like 650 receiving yards. That'll be quite a bit for Colston Loveland to get. So I do think he could surpass the touchdown totals, though. I actually was surprised. I thought Jake Butt had more touchdowns than that. He had. Uh, four four receiving touchdowns his senior year. And so my thinking is that Loveland comes up short 
from a yardage standpoint, but I could see him getting five touchdowns this season uh, pretty easily, actually, especially if we think Michigan's going to play 15 games. I, I think so. I'm going to say like four or 500 receiving yards and then five touchdowns. And so, yeah, that's Jake Butt status. That's enough for a potential All-American tight end. I mean, give me five touchdowns for Colston Loveland in the non-con. That's how confident I am in that. <laughs> I mean, Against I'm kind of with. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think that uh, I think he might come up a little bit short from a yardage standpoint, but I think that we see him pile up some touchdowns this season. I think he'll be a favorite weapon, especially just having that opportunity with JJ dating all the way back to the beginning of the season. You know, he really didn't kind of have that look uh, earlier on last season. So I think that uh, that we'll still see a lot of output from him. I just don't know if it's Jake Butt level, but who knows? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we shall see. The tight ends are always utilized in a Jim Harbaugh offense. And then after Loveland made that catch against Purdue, that like NFL wide receiver, just Randy Moss catch in the corner, I was like, <laughs> oh, this dude can do anything. So. But we'll definitely see there. Um, now let's get, you know, this is fun. Being on a Michigan football podcast, we do we do something that not a lot of other sports fans do. We talk about the offensive line. Like we really talk about the offensive line at Michigan. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things that that just makes us proud as as Michigan fans to get get into the nitty gritty. I'm going to I'm going to lead off here. And Lexi, I don't know how in depth you get with the O line again. You know, you're just one of the bros to us, and so we're gonna get we're gonna <laughs> really we're gonna really get down there and in, in, in into the trenches here. Um, I'm gonna say my question is probably the biggest question on that line, which is um, who is going to start at right tackle? So we we know. I see Matt smiling. That was probably his question too, but. We know Drake Nugent's Drake Nugent's and and going to be in the center position. Ladarius T- Henderson will be coming in and playing left tackle. Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinter. There's no chance in hell they're not starting. So really, you have Trent A. Jones, Carson Barnhart, or maybe even like moving guys around like Miles Hinton or Giovanni El Hadi. Um, but uh, Matt, I'll go to you first here. Uh, who do you think is going to start in that position? Right, right tackle. I honestly think it's going to be Carson Barnhart. And, you know, you kind of saw, uh, and with Trent A. Jones, it's just kind of an unfortunate situation because he was picking up momentum at the beginning of last season prior to his injury, came back, still helped out a lot. Um, but by then, you know, Barnhart had, had taken the position and was doing very well and kind of remained the starter for the the starter, if you will, for the rest of the season. Obviously, like I said, Jones still played quite a bit, but Barnhart, I kind of think was pegged as the starter ending the last season. And then, like you said, you also have guys like Miles Hinton coming in. So I think the battle kind of falls right there within that three. Carson Barnhart, Trent A. Jones, Miles Hinton is kind of where I see it. Um, and I think Barnhart leads. I think it's honestly probably the closest battle on this entire team between the three of those guys. So 
I honestly have no idea. If I had to guess, just take a stab in the dark, I'd probably say Barnhart, but who who even knows what can transpire during the offseason? Lexi, I see your head nodding. Is that is that who you're going <laughs> yeah. with as well? Oh, for sure. I mean, what being fifth year now, tackle, um, he, he knows that it's gonna be always be a competition. He he even came out and said that. You know, he's ready to fight for that when he took over for Jones when he got hurt last year. So he stepped into that role. He's a leader in the locker room, a leader in this position. Um, I think he's going to be great. He's uh, I I think that it will no contest be him as that starting person, but we'll see. Uh, But I just love and it's so comforting and relaxing to talk about how we have so much depth like in these on this line because so many teams don't. And it's. I think it's just going to be another great year for that, but it's just great to know that we're just talking about who's going to be there to protect our guy. And it's all, all the answers are great. All the answers would be wonderful to me. And I don't care. It's like protect AJ. I I can't wait until for the record, Mike, my question was the exact same question, you know, and they're really like, I couldn't come up with any other questions for this position group. It's honestly the most well put together position group on Michigan's roster. Sharon Moore has done an incredible job uh, coaching that group as well as the offense. Um, So it's just, it's honestly incredible. I could name five guys right now that, that are the backups on that offensive line that will literally start for big, for big 10 programs. You know what I mean? Not even just like a Mac school or something like there are several layers of starting potential along this offensive line. And I don't think it's going to be a problem at all during any point in the season. So yes, very comforting. I was going to say, I can't wait to see when we're doing a, a mid game substitution and all five O linemen go to the sideline <laughs> and then five more run in. And there's literally no drop off in, uh, in production. Cause that's really what it is. We've got five starters just sitting, you know, sitting as backups, which is, a luxury to say the least. Um, Lexi, Lexi, so Matt and I had the same question there. Did you have a burning question for the O-line? Yeah, I know I saw, so, you know, we won back-to-back, you know, Joe Moore awards. Um, And then I saw like ESPN kind of come out with a prediction and Michigan's offensive line was kind of nowhere to be seen. And I'm just really curious on that. And I just think, do you guys think that we can three-peat for that award and that it's going to be just as impactful as it has been the last two years. First off, I don't know who's putting out these ESPN lists after they fired everybody. <laughs> they fired everybody on their fucking the team. Janitor's so, doing them. <laughs> yeah. A janitor's putting out these lists on, at ESPN. Uh, yeah, of course, you know, at a certain point, I think the, whoever votes on that award is is going to be like, we got to give this to somebody else. But, <laughs> the, but uh, you know, there's going to be Georgia. There's going to be um, some other. I, I'm assuming Ohio State has a pretty impressive. You know, there, there's going to be a couple of those big time schools that are going to be loaded with talent. Um, but I, I would say a, a preseason prediction putting Michigan or not. Let me just say this: not putting Michigan as your number one team is ludicrous. That now that's like one position that any any analyst that predicts anybody other than Michigan to have the best O-line is just not paying attention. So, yeah, I think we can three-peat for sure. 
Well, I think ESPN is huffing glue. If anyone <laughs> on their staff made such an egregious uh, prediction, I think honestly, this year is Michigan's best chance. I, I don't even think in the previous two years, Michigan was favored to win the award at all either. I think this year is an, there's an argument for the best offensive line in the country off rip just from a eye perspective, you know what I mean? Not even just a common sense perspective, but just the eye test. I think that uh, there's just too much talent and depth to, uh, to ignore that position group nationally. So I think it's their award, honestly, to lose from the start of the season. Well, I think we can all, we can all agree on that one. Um, now let's let's wrap things up with special teams, and so this could be any special teams position. Um, Matt, you want to kick us off there? Oh, kick us off! You see what I did there? I didn't even I didn't even <laughs> intend to do that. There you go, special teams. Kick it off, buddy. Oh my god! All right, so I'm going to start with the punting position. Now, it's really kind of something that nobody's talking about. I know we've got a transfer guy coming in from Mississippi State. Hudson Holenbeck uh, pegged as a kicker punter. Uh, but really, other than that, the guy has no real experience at the position. Uh, what are our questions for replacing elite punter Brad Robbins with, uh, with a transfer portal guy or somebody on this team? Uh, well, I mean, is that more of a problem than than we uh than we think it is what are we thinking about that are we just kind of ignoring it because we filled it with a a transfer portal guy like i kind of feel like it needs to be talked about a little bit i'm glad you bring it up because it is like okay so we got james turner coming in as a kicker we've got hudson hollenback coming in as a punter and i just assume both of those guys will start i i like i i don't know what the conversations are like um for transfer guys like the coaches say like yeah yeah you're 100 percent you're our guy just just come like what like i don't know if they have those conversations i i i would anticipate a hardball team is like these guys are told like well you're gonna have to compete and earn the position no matter what and so maybe that's true um i'm gonna say hudson hollenbeck does get the starting punter position just because my daughter's name is hudson um that's <laughs> That's really the only, I don't really know anything about him. If I'm being honest, I just assume, I just assume that we brought him in to be, to be our punter. So I'm going to go with that. Lexi, do you, do you have any insights into the punting position better than uh, family members names? You know, I think out of like a lot of the positions, similar like offensive line, Jay Harbaugh just killed it with the special teams. So it's kind of like he, they brought those guys in. I trust that they're going to be, what they looked for and continuing that um, elite level of talent that we just really had on our special teams. So it's not something I'm really like even, you know, concerned with or anything. I think both guys are going to be incredible when they walk on. So let's do it. Fair enough. <laughs> Brad Robbins 2.0 on the team right now. <laughs> Why not? Why not, man? He, he'll, he won't have the mustache, but hopefully he has the leg. Um, my special teams question is, and this is a mystery. This is truly a mystery. And so we can get creative here. Um, who's going to return kicks and who's going to return punts? 
because I have no idea. So I'm, I'm, I have, I have a guess. I'll tell you mine after y'all go, but uh, feel free to jump right in. Does anybody have any idea who's returning kicks and punts this year? I've got a little insight because I wrote an article about this on Maize and Brew. And by insight, oh. I mean I Googled some stuff. So, <laughs> so uh, I think that we might see a little bit of, uh, of a Samaj Morgan, um, Cole Cabana mixture at that position. Both have been drawing a little bit of interest um, on the return game. I specifically don't know where, uh, where for each position uh, for punting and kick returns. So I'm kind of lost on that. But those are kind of the two guys that I think we see might get some run. Also, maybe Tyler Morris, just because he's drawn a lot of Ronnie Bell comparisons this offseason. So I could just kind of see him as being the uh, type of guy that they'd like to see returning punts, maybe. But uh, other than that, that's kind of who I've been hearing is generating a little bit of buzz at that those position groups. Lexi, yeah, any ideas? I would I wouldn't probably say about the same like Samaj Morgan I think is probably the best bet, um, but you know like that's just another thing where I'm like they'll figure it out and anyone who's even really stepped into that when when there's been injuries and so forth that it, it's been like it didn't skip a beat so um, it kind of stinks losing Henning in that to the portal because that was someone that you kind of relied on to do it and whatnot but uh, I think it's going to be exciting I'm really intrigued to see I just I hope it's not Roman Wilson as much because I would like him to be, you know, I just always think of the Ronnie Bell, you know, I think of like, yeah. the, like injuries and stuff like that. So it's like, I just hope he kind of more or less focuses on his wide receiver position and another guy steps up in that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up AJ Henning because as a, a lot of the Michigan following was like, well, he never came to fruition. We didn't use him much. He didn't run a lot of routes and it's like, yeah, but the dude was probably the best like punt returner in the big 10 um, that's a big loss, and so I have a uh, a theory here. Here's here's my proposition. I somebody get Harbaugh on the phone. I need to, I need to tell this guy something. Why not? Uh, I, I think Cole Cabana is going to return kicks. That's just my guess. But why not put a Marion Walker back to return punts? We saw this dude. We saw that freakishly fast, quick change of position three cone drill that he that he did over the offseason. He literally went from receiver to to defensive back because so we know he's got some hands. He's he's played some re- receiver and Josh Wallace, the transfer from uh UMass is probably going to take that number 2 cornerback position and so we want to get Amari on some some touches so he doesn't transfer and so for all of those reasons I'm thinking I mean why the heck not? Amari on Walker punt returner I can see it. I like the idea of getting him some minutes so that uh, we don't lose him as a talent because I do think that there's a lot of speed there that we could harness in uh, some way. So I'm a fan of getting him some minutes in some fashion. Um, I don't know. I think that the, I mean, that everybody's just kind of rolling forward with the idea that Omarion Walker is going to compete for this cornerback slot so we'll kind of see how that goes and factors into the equation for him whether or not he still gets meaningful uh snaps over the course of the season at the cornerback slot but i mean other than that i i don't know um i think that 
if I had to guess, I would probably say there's still a place for him on defense. I'm not really really ready to sell the stock on him just yet defensively. But uh, but if not, then yeah, I would agree with you. Find a way to get him some minutes on special teams. All right, and then qu- quickly, because we're bumping up against our time here a little bit, Lexi, you got, we'll do a little rapid fire. You got a special teams question for us? Um, well, <clears throat> mine was like, who is going to be the punt returner, re- returner originally? So I just feel like, it's just not it's not really something I'm like, you know, concerned about, but I just trying to think of another question and I really can't because I'm like, that was just my biggest. That's like the biggest question mark of going into this. But I trust Jay Harbaugh to run it and, and to do well. So real quick, heck, James yeah. Turner or Tommy Doman kicking field goals for Michigan this year. James, James Turner. Turner. Yeah, just because, for what exactly what I said. I feel like when these guys transfer in that that they're like. It just felt it felt like he was brought in to be the guy. His numbers were Jake Moody esque anyway, and so he seems he seems like the guy. Um, well, and the most experienced too, like in in kicking. So I think for sure. All right. Well, I was now just that we've interested because solved- uh, John Jansen. Every time he speaks about it on In the Trenches, he seems to think that that it's Tommy Doman's job to lose somehow, just because he's been in the system. So. I thought that was a curious question that I'd just slide in there because everybody's really kind of assuming that it's this veteran James Turner that's an ace coming in. But I don't know, maybe Tommy Doman's like uh, <clears throat> like Jake Moody or something, and we just don't know it yet. What, is, what does John Jansen know about Michigan football? That guy doesn't have any <laughs> access. He doesn't have any access to the program. Are you kidding me, man? <laughs> Well, I tell you what, as promised, I'm going to, we're going to cut away. We're going to give our listeners a little insight into week two. That's right. We're already on, we're already getting into some week two behind enemy lines Intel. So uh, with my company, Wolverine Chronicle, I've been doing some behind enemy lines interviews, uh, finding insiders and experts of Michigan's 2023 opponents and digging deep into their rosters and, and what they think about these teams coming up. So I had a great conversation with Tony Cordasco, play-by-play announcer and insider for the UNLV Rebels. Here is Behind Enemy Lines, Week 2, UNLV. Welcome to a Wolverine Chronicle exclusive segment, Behind Enemy Lines. Uh, I'm very excited for this episode. We're we're going to be reviewing the UNLV Michigan game that's going to be Week 2 in the upcoming 2023 football season. And I am here with our special guest, Tony Cordasco. Tony's done some play-by-play for UNLV, um, among other things. Uh, Tony, how you doing? Doing just great. Thanks for having me on the show. I know we're just uh, you know a few months out here, uh, September the 9th, right? And but it's already starting to cook, man. Like everyone's ready, and I know here in Las Vegas uh, we'll have uh, the Mountain West Media Days. I don't think that the I don't think that uh, you know the Big Ten is doing it right because. Our media day will be at Stadium Swim at Circa Hotel Casino, uh, which is that beautiful pool with the, all the sports and the sports book and, of course, some other great sites there as well. But, yeah, ready to go. Uh, they're having camps here in Vegas over the weekend. I think UNLV, uh, according to their tweets and alerts, I think they signed three more players. And I think the story here is after spring, uh, the new head coach, Barry Odom, 
who was the head coach uh, at Missouri previously, and his last stop was as defensive coordinator at uh, the University of Arkansas. Man, they are working like overtime uh, recruiting. They've added 21 new players, new faces to the roster since the end of spring practices. So this will be an entirely new look. And then I think his major focus, uh, to be honest with you, Michael, is just focusing on the local high schools because when Barry Odom was an assistant coach, defensive coordinator um, at Arkansas, he was here a lot recruiting high school players. So he has you know some pretty good pipelines established with 36 high schools here in the city and trying to keep a lot of this talent here at home. So it's been a very busy summer, off-season, if you will, for UNLV football. And it's going to be, I think, an exciting time here in Las Vegas. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk about UNLV football. And, you know, when it comes to Michigan fans, as soon as basketball season ends, we start looking at football season. So even though it's a few months away still, we're, we're already dissecting these, these non-conference games that are coming up. Excited to learn about UNLV. So let me just jump right in and ask you, what do you expect uh, to be the position group that is the strongest for the Rebels this upcoming season? Like, which position group is the strength of this team? Just based on everything that I saw at spring practices, the strength will have to be the secondary. And they've even added more pieces, I think, in the after, uh, aftermath of uh, spring football. Um, there's a lot of talent, a lot of returning lettermen already. Um, there's, I think, 20 DBs, I think, currently or more on the roster. Uh, they're not done yet, as I said. Um, and I think they have so much depth. And one of the players, in fact, uh, Jere Williams, who is an emotional leader for this team, um, he's really just he, high octane. He just plays with a high ticker and intensity. Uh, Jere Williams during spring, and again, he's just five uh, ten. I think maybe pushing it about a buck uh, eighty. Uh, and they had him playing a strong, uh, strong side linebacker during the spring. Uh, he's basically going to be your nickel in the three down man, uh, lineman package, I think. But uh, they've just got some good coverage guys. Uh, they brought in uh, some some new players. Uh, Joan Claiborne is a kid from Las Vegas that went to Bishop Gorman High School. And he just uh, transferred back in due to the health issues that his mom has. And I think he's going to contribute. Uh, you've got some some good players. Um, Jalen Frazier from North Carolina State. We're not like recruiting uh, players, you know, that are from mid-majors or what have you. Uh, currently, they're going for the big-time players, players that are cast-offs, you know, from other programs that just didn't seem to fit. And uh, they have some really good players, I think, that are going to contribute in that secondary. Uh, Cam Oliver was a player that's returning. He had two pick sixes last year at uh, one of the cornerback spots. Um, on and on. I mean, I just can't talk enough about uh, the type of uh, depth and the way that they came together and played. I think that's going to be the strength of uh, this defense. But again, um, in that uh, basic 3-4 scheme or variations of it, as we know, um, you're going to have to get some pressure from uh, the interior as well and the players in, in the box uh, to make the job easier for the secondary. But I'd have to say for sure, uh, that's going to be the strength of, uh, of this UNLV Rebel football team. Now, when I was doing some preliminary 
preliminary studying of uh, UNLV, I, I came across a guy named Noel Williams who led the team in interceptions last year. Is he returning or or did he depart? He left the program. Yeah, he uh, went into the transfer portal. I think Noel went to Cal. Uh, so he's gone. They lost some players and they still have a ton of depth here. And I just think that uh, this is a team that is going to, again, rely on big plays in their secondary uh, coming up with, you know, picks and uh, making some big uh, plays that can turn games around, hopefully. Um, I think that that's what uh, Coach Barry Odom, who is a defensive-minded coach, I think that's what he's looking for. And then he brought in uh, Mike Shear, who he actually recruited. Um, he brought him to University of Missouri. Um, he had him as an analyst. He later was a position coach at Arkansas, linebackers coach. And now he's a defensive coordinator here. So he and Odom are going to work I think together an awful lot on structuring the defense. And I think they're going to just give the keys, if you will, to the offense, uh, to Brendan Marion, who's an outstanding coach. Uh, he's got something called the go-go offense. And that's going to be, if everything that we saw in the spring and stuff that I've seen on film, and he was the offensive coordinator, Marion, Coach Marion, at Howard, the team that beat UNLV. That upset UNLV, the biggest upset, I guess, based on point spread. Can we talk about that? Uh, in, in college football history. <laughs> uh, and I was actually broadcasting that game, and it was just the biggest downer ever. But, yeah. So he beat UNLV. Um, Coach Marion went to Pitt. Um, and he had the wide receiver core there, including uh, including uh, Addison uh, there. Uh, the wide receiver uh, went to Texas. Um, and now he's becoming, you know, an offense coordinator here. So I think those are some key pieces, new coaching staff. Uh, things are coming together a lot quicker, I think, uh, than we thought they, they might because uh, the former head coach, Marcus Arroyo, was fired uh, right after the season, a season in which the Rebels went five and seven, were very close to a bowl game, and then he was fired. And then uh, just right after the new year, Odom, uh, came in and he he missed that early signing period. They made up a lot of time, uh, really very fast and and quickly. And they did, did get some recruits in the early signing period, but now they're starting to really cook and they've been out there. And they're not just uh, recruiting locally; uh, they're recruiting also a lot of Power Five uh, players. Well, you mentioned that uh, Howard upset against UNLV. Uh, us Michigan folks understand being on the unfavorable side <laughs> of, a, of massive upsets that that Appalachian it just haunts us that Appalachian State <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. win. But but it's, you know you mentioned the DBs and the secondary potentially being a strength of of the team, and that could actually be a favorable matchup because if if any position group w could be considered a weakness on Michigan's team. I think a lot of people would choose the receiver group. And so seeing how the that secondary matches up with the receivers will be interesting. Uh, but speaking of uh, team weaknesses, let, let, let's dive in a little bit. Like, it, Do you think that there's a position group that maybe mm -hmm. could be considered the weakness of this team? Yeah, there sure is. And that's going to be the offensive line. Uh, they lost uh, one of the key players who was returning. Um, it was uh, Preston Nichols who transferred to Purdue. See, around here, if you're a good player, you're going to get poached by the majors, right? Yeah. Um, and so, of course, uh, with NIL and everything else, he gets, uh, you know, that uh, that call. And 
so he winds up at Purdue. So now they have to fill the void there. Uh, not a ton of experience. Uh, they did bring in some some other players from outside. Uh, Will Thomas, uh, I think an offensive tackle is coming in uh, from New Mexico State. Uh, you've got uh, some other good players. I think um, the new center for UNLV will be Jack Haas. And uh, Haas is a player that uh, transferred from the University of Buffalo. Um, and then I, I just think that that offensive line, the left guard now will be uh, Jalen St. John, who had a pretty decent spring. He's an Arkansas transfer. Uh, but the Rebels do have a couple of returners. Um, again, with Doug Brumfield being a left-handed quarterback, blindside would be the right-side tackle. Tiger Shanks has had an up-and-down uh, career for UNLV, and he just needs to stabilize. Um, and then Marcus Miller is the left-side tackle. Uh, they have, have another uh, returnee at the right-side guard, and that is Imani uh, Trigg-Wright. And so they do have some returnees, but we don't know about the quality, and nor is there a ton of depth uh, behind that offensive line. The one good thing that you could say positively is that with the new offense, the go-go offense, go-go. They're going to go very, very quick. They're going to go fast, and they might not have to sustain their blocks as quickly if they're getting rid of the football, you know, in quick patterns, on quick outs, you know, passes over the middle and what have you. I, I think that they could work. They've worked on the blocking schemes, and hopefully they don't put them in a position when it comes to run blocking. Then that might be my greatest concern for this upcoming season. But I really do believe that uh, that's the area that they really do need to uh, to pick things up. And I, I'm just curious to see what they're going to do, um, what that O-line and how it holds up during the season. Well, you know, if the O-line is is a little bit thin, then you're going to be looking to, I, I guess this go-go offense is a little bit of a speed and space, get out of the, you know, get mm -hmm. the ball up the field fast. So uh, who do you anticipate being the, you know, number one impact player, who's the guy on the offensive side of the ball that the Michigan coaching staff is going to need to focus on the most? Well, if he's upright, everything's going to be great for UNLV, and that's the quarterback, Doug Brumfield. And I went out there to spring practice on the first day, and they brought him in for interviews, and I said, Doug, did you have another growth spurt? And he goes, yeah, how can you tell? He's like towers over everyone. He went from 6'5", <laughs> now he's maybe over 6'6". I mean, he's just the tallest guy out there. He's a very athletic quarterback, uh, but he likes to run, and he gets himself in danger when he does that because he exposes himself. And part of this offense, of course, um, pretty much, I think, when you look at the offense under Coach Marion, it's an offense that's predicated on a lot of motion and then also you know, trying to find those mismatches. Uh, there in the secondary and see who moves and who covers and what have you. And then there's two backs. So the quarterback, Brumfield, uh, will be standing there with two backs, you know, to either his left or right. And sometimes they'll split them. But mostly when you see their formation, it's going to be with two backs to one uh, or, or uh, to one side or the other. And so he's appeared, uh, Brumfield, in 10 games. He's thrown for 1,898 yards completes 65% of his passes. And when Coach Brennan came in here, um, when uh, Coach came in, uh, Coach uh, Bren Brennan came in here, I should say Marion, 
And he, the first thing he saw when he was evaluating film was that the way that Brumfield was most effective was in no huddle. He said, you know, he throws 65% regularly, but man, his completion rate goes up. Um, he gets into a rhythm and he's able to run the ball more effectively. So they, they're going to do a ton of no huddle. And I just think, again, you just have to worry about the quarterback and his health and if he can sustain getting through um, a lot of hits this season. And that's how he got – If you, the, the player most likely to be catapulting himself and doing a somersault over the goal line like we saw last season is Doug Brumfield. And, you know, back issues, man, it just – you know, you expose yourself up front in your rib cage and everything else. So we just hope he can make it through the season. I really would like to see Doug Brumfield very healthy during the course of this season. Well, yeah, when you've got a quarterback that's that that athletic, but the offensive line is is letting these guys through, it gets it gets a little exciting, you know, when you get these guys out running in space. And so my question for you is, uh, can Brumfield uh, throw on the run is is he accurate if he's rolling out of the pocket is that in in his skill set yeah definitely very much so yeah it is it's definitely in his uh, skill set and he does he'll take off though uh, a lot of the time and that's the one thing they just mm-hmm. want to make sure that he just stays stable in the pocket uh, when he has to throw the football and just again try not to expose himself uh, but he's good on the on the run he's great he can improv with the best of them um, he had a 72-yard like scramble play last year where he threw you know a pass downfield to Ricky White and he scored a touchdown. Uh, there's a lot of things that he can do, but it's a different team when he's in there opposed to when he's not. And you have a, a freshman uh, right behind him in Jaden Maeva, who's a local product here from from Las Vegas and. Uh, just untested, unproven. He won the job uh, to move mm-hmm. up to number two in the spring, uh, but you don't want to get to that point to where uh, Brumfield has to be in the lineup every day. Well, let's move it to the other side of the ball. Who, who, who's the guy on defense that's really going to be disrupting the Michigan offense the most? I know you said the secondary looks strong. Um, it, it is the the number one impact player on the defensive side going to come out of that secondary, or is there somebody in that front seven that can do some damage? Good question. No, it's going to be the linebacker in the Arkansas transfer, Jackson Woodward, uh, who is pretty much the quarterback on defense. He's the player that is going to send the plays in, and he's worked. He's got the familiarity with both Coach Barry Odom and with Coach Shear, Mike Shear, the defensive coordinator, because they all came from Arkansas. And uh, here was like a spot duty guy, pretty much, when he was at Arkansas. And he played sporadically. He got into every game, but he was a guy off the bench. He wasn't a starter. Not that that means anything. But he really proved his worth, and he stepped up in the Liberty Bowl. Um, and so he played very well in that game, in the bowl game, uh, because a lot of guys opted out. So he stepped in there. Shear actually moved up because Odom was here in Las Vegas, and he was the defensive coordinator in that game. But he showed an awful lot. And then in speaking to Woodward, he is a guy that you think will be, he'll be the next Mike Shear. He'll be another uh, coach, I think, uh, for either UNLV or somewhere else uh, because he speaks like a coach. He definitely sees the game very well. 
And I just like his command of the defensive unit, uh, what, what I saw in the spring. He's, he's just a real heady guy, and I think he's going to help them out immensely. Well, you mentioned the Liberty Bowl, and, and so that, that alludes to the fact that this team is no stranger to winning some games. And so let me ask you, Tony, uh, where do you see them finishing in the conference this season? Well, you know, this will be the first year that we don't have the two-division structure. So it's just one division. Yeah, so it's the first year for the Mountain West. And so, I mean, it doesn't matter. Like, UNLV just needs to get wherever uh, to a bowl game. I think that the schedule is pretty good after they play the Michigans and maybe the Vanderbilt game, but a lot of favorable games, I think, uh, for UNLV. A lot of those games are here at home. Um, against the conference powers, if you will. And I just think that they're going to, uh, I'm hoping that they are bowl eligible. The total, they put an over-under on wins here in Las Vegas, and the total number is six. So it's right near, it's right at where they need to be. Mm -hmm. Uh, The last bowl game for UNLV was in 2014. So it's been forever. It's been nine years. I know Michigan goes bowling every year, and now probably will be perennial Final Four team uh, but here in Las Vegas, we just want to get a team to the wire to any bowl game possible and then just start from there. And hopefully if the football program can pick things up, if basketball can uh, continue to go on the upward trend, I think that, you know, that would be very, uh, very good for UNLV, a positive sign uh, for UNLV moving into a bigger conference. That's eventually what they want to do. And here in Las Vegas, I mean, we're the home of winners other than uh, the Rebel football team. But it's going, it's getting there. It's getting there because, you know, there's a new football facility, new-ish on campus. It's what, about three years old now or four years old. And that's the Fertitta Football Conference, uh, uh, the center that we have here, the Fertitta Complex. And then the team is now playing at Allegiant Stadium. And so home of the Raiders. And so... And we need to get more fans than just average like 16,000 a game. Um, if the football team can win, the program can win. We'll get more fans, be more attractive, I think, to a lot of those other uh, conferences. It's crazy because, right, the Mountain West has its conference media days here. The Pac-12 will have its media days here in Las Vegas as well this year for the first time. But they have their championship football game here. They have the Pac-12 basketball, men's and women's tournaments here, but they're stiffing us, man, if they're watching this or listening. <laughs> Come on, man. Well, you know, it, Vegas is a fun place for anybody to go to. And, now, you know, now that we've got USC and UCLA in the Big Ten, maybe they'll, maybe they'll try to figure out a way to do some <laughs> sort of convention or conference there in Vegas. But It might be the Pac-8 by the time they get here, you know, next month. Right. I can I, can't even keep up with conference realignment. I had no right. idea the Mountain West did away with divisions. I've spent all my energy trying to figure out what the Big Ten's going to look like uh, next year. And then, of course, the college football playoff. And I mean, everything is changing so fast in today's uh, college so football world. Mm-hmm. Um, but that could that could be, you know, that could be a really good sign for a team like UNLV. You mentioned getting some wins underneath them, p- potentially moving into a larger conference, getting some Power Five matchups. So let me ask you this. Finish this sentence. UNLV wins against Michigan if. Hmm. If maybe uh, 
Maybe if Ricky White has another one of those breakthrough games like he did, I think, three years ago, the wide receiver, when he was at Michigan State, he had eight receptions for a buck 46. And yeah, that was three years ago. And that was like, a, you know, here's a freshman there, you know, just killing you guys in the big house. And that was the upset win. Michigan State went on to win, you know. Uh, but yeah, that would yeah, have we to don't happen. want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would have to happen. And uh, hopefully, you know, and UNLV's had some pretty good receivers, but they haven't had quarterbacks that could get the football to those players consistently. And so this could be the year for Brumfield. Uh, and then, you know, UNLV would also have to uh, establish the run. They'd have to run the football a lot better. Um, they did. Uh, we lost here in Las Vegas. Aiden Robbins, who is an exceptional running back, um, he came here from Louisville. He had a great season. He got injured a little bit, uh, but he had a terrific year, and he was a big back, and UNLV lost him to BYU. And so Vincent Davis comes in um, from the University of Pittsburgh. He's like a scat back guy. Um, and then there's uh, a guy named uh, Donovan Lester from William & Mary, 6'2", and I think a little over 200. And so they have those big bruising, the big bruising back. And then uh, you have, uh, again, uh, Vincent Davis, who's just, he runs hard. He's like a stocky kid. And then Courtney Reese, who's like your scat back, who returns from last year. And they have some other talent at running back. So the way that UNLV could beat you guys would be, well, the defense has to stop you, first of all. Uh, and we'll see how that works. Um, it's crazy, right? Because the last meeting, 2015, Michigan won 28 to seven, and these are two much different programs than they were in 2015. Yeah. And so, yeah, for the Rebels to win, though, uh, run the football again, uh, play turnover free, and then depend on big plays, hopefully from from Ricky White and from Doug Brumfield. And we will do we'll do everything we can to stop Ricky White. I can guarantee you that um, <laughs> they know who he is. They turn the table. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Let me turn the tables here. So finish this sentence. Michigan wins if Michigan will win if the Wolverines, you know, they'll win if they pay UNLV an extra million dollars, you know, to maybe lay down. Now that's a joke. That's a bad joke. Uh, <laughs> If Blake Corum, if Blake Corum obviously is back and healthy, it's a concern. And stopping the run, I think. Again, you have the secondary. Um, I'm just concerned, you know, about uh, the front seven, you know, for UNLV and how that's going to materialize and what they're going to do to stop the run first. This is a program, Barry Odom says, we need to run the football and stop the run. That's basically it. And so that's going to be, I think, the major key. Uh, and then just try not to get those Michigan fans uh, behind the team with big plays because we know it can happen there in the big house. And uh, we've seen that happen before. And you just you want to see, you know, a game of respectability out of UNLV. Uh, you want to make sure because this is a big sandwich game. You know, <laughs> Bryant College comes in here for, for the opener. That's a nice, nice game to have just to get prep uh -huh. yourself for, for Michigan a week early. But then uh, after that, it's Vanderbilt here. So that's a step up. But yeah, I'm just curious to see what this new look will be like. And all these players that are coming in. And uh, last night, you know, one of the, uh, I think one of the coordinators or someone 
had uh, tweeted out that they got three more wins or whatever. I don't know, like three more players maybe. And I don't know if they're for this class or for the class of 24. Uh, UNLV in the class of 2024 so far, they have the best recruiting. They're number one in the Mountain West Conference, which is which is pretty good. I mean, that's really good. And again, yeah. it just shows you where this this program is headed. But I definitely believe in the coaching staff. They've been terrific to to work with and to deal with. And I just hope, you know, offensive and Vegas wants to see a show, right? And so Brendan Marion, I think, can put on a show. He didn't show too many wrinkles or some of the things that he can do. But this is going to be a lot of fun. And I hope that there's some trickery there that you folks get to see in Michigan just to make it a more fun and entertaining game, right? I just think it could be a ton of fun. And UNLV will just be finding themselves in the early parts of this season with, you know, an entirely new staff and all these new players. It's just a matter of how quickly they could come together. Well, we still got a couple months here, so I'm not going to hold you to this, but can I get a score prediction out of you? No. You had to put yeah, a no, number on it. What, <laughs> what I mean, would you expect the score to so, be? So if UNLV could keep this game in the 20s, right, it, it improves mm-hmm. their chance of winning. And I can just leave it at that. I don't know. It just, there's so many unknown variables. Typically, I'm not shy to do this, yeah. to be honest with you. I think Michigan will win the game just based on what I see on paper. Um, and I'm just concerned again about that offensive line and how they're going to run block and how they're going to protect Doug Brumfield. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, the major key. If they can hold up, if they come together. And again, you know, there's not a ton of repetitions with all those guys. And typically, when you have a good offensive line, they get a lot of repetitions together, right? Because they have to sense each other and what they're doing and how they're blocking and uh, what the scheme does, right? So if they could come together, uh, if the UNLV Rebels could keep this game in the 20s, uh, then I think they have a good chance, not of pulling up off a big shocker, but just staying you know, within reach, which would be really nice. Right. And the $1.8 million doesn't hurt either. The one point eight million doesn't hurt, and I, I tell you what, Tony. Before we wrap up here, I'm going to hit you with one bonus question that wasn't in our show notes. It j- it just came to mind. So you guys are in Vegas. There's a lot going on. I mean, it's the land of of showbiz, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And and I'm I'm curious as far as the the college athlete landscape goes. Do you find it interesting or difficult? Uh, for these guys, these youngsters that come, you know, they're eight, you know, 17, 18, you know, mm-hmm. to 22 years old. Are, are a lot of these guys getting in trouble or having issues, uh, you know, with the Vegas scene? Or is, is that pretty much not an issue? It has not been an issue, to be quite honest with you. They regulated very well. And last season, uh, I can speak for like going to high school football games on Friday nights when the team was in town. Uh, the guys would come out to high school games and hang out. And uh, there's just yeah. a good culture here, very good culture. And I think that they help each other out to stay out of, uh, there's always going to be a knucklehead or two. Knock on wood, we haven't right. had any issues here. Like we really haven't. And I can't even remember the last time, you know, that something uh, went awry with the football program and with the student athletes. And so, no, they've done a good job. They do try to, uh, obviously, gambling is in their face, right? And so that's the one thing yeah. I think that's a major concern, too. And they do keep them away from all of that. They do have a lot of uh, workshops and things of that nature where they talk to the players, uh, 
Uh, we did have something on the sideline that I'm kind of miffed that they took out of there, though. So, you know, like most of the schools have their celebratory, uh, maybe a, a championship belt for turnover, turnover towels or uh -huh. what I've seen all. Well, we had the slot machine on the sideline. The slot machine. I, yes. yeah, I remember that. I remember seeing that. They got it rid of that. It was the greatest device of all time. I would go down there actually and take a few spins because you couldn't lose on the thing, right, anyway. Uh, before uh -huh. each game, we would go down there and hang out like on the sideline and check it out. And after a turnover, the team would go over there and it was so much fun. It really was a fun thing. Uh -huh. And it was so different and out there. So IGT, the uh, the manufacturer, they put together this big slot machine that cost like 50K and uh, it was on the sidelines. And then uh, we found out that it won't be here anymore because I guess gaming control had some concerns and there's always those Debbie Downers that are like, well, it's gambling and it's youngsters. No, come on, like lighten yeah. up. This is a fun, fun thing that's not going to promote gambling, but it was just the most unique like turnover chain or what have you of any what, what about yeah. who was doing like the, the turnover bottle service in miami was it who was that they would bring <laughs> I, out I like bottle service miami. I, well maybe we I should go back to miami that had they have the chain right <laughs> yeah yeah let's go back to that i want to do bottle service we do uh -huh. we've got yeah, like we do so sunglasses as as you're staring at so in the end zone in the northern end zone of Allegiant Stadium, we have the Wynn Nightclub. So it's like a nightclub where people are partying, you know, and there's a DJ uh -huh. in there. So, the, but that's okay. Let's just, maybe, maybe we need to cover that up. But you can't do the slot machine. <laughs> I don't get it. I just yeah, don't get it's it. A, that, that's a bummer. To, it to is me, a bummer because it was a, fun. Right. It's an excellent visual, too, to see the guys run over there and, and play the slot. So that's too bad. Well, uh, Tony, thank you so much for taking the time. I, I can't wait. Maybe we'll touch base again when the season gets a little sure. bit closer. And uh, for for uh, my listeners here, where can people find you if they want to follow you? Uh, on Twitter, mostly, at Tony Dasco. I have a lot of opinions, folks. And I've already tweeted out <laughs> since I've been on Twitter over like 217,000 times. So I'm very, let's say I'm active on there. I think that's the pl best place to find me. I'm on the air on Odyssey here in Las Vegas, uh, 98.5, The Bet, Las Vegas. <laughs> we could get away with the station called The Bet, but you can't put a stinking slot machine on the sidelines. <laughs> uh, so that's, that's our station here that I'm on, and I do some other radio work, live streams, uh, whatever, football, basketball, what have you here in the local community. But I'm excited about football season, and I always am, but this is going to be special, I hope. And man. 2014, the last bowl game. That's just, that's hard to believe. And then uh, the folks here are wondering why no major conference is coming after UNLV. You got to win. You got to consistently win. Got to win. And you got to, football, right? Number one, typically, basketball's big in this town. So that program is about to uh, get better and, and improve. But yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll be in a bigger conference too and within the next couple of years. We could hope on that. And then, yeah. It'd be great to catch up once again. I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you so much. Of course, and I can tell you I will be rooting for you guys to win every single game except for that game in Ann Arbor. That's the one game I won't be rooting for for the Rebels. But uh, 
Yeah, hopefully you guys can get some wins on the board and, and uh, that'll strengthen our schedule up anyway as well. Right. Tony, again, thank you so much. Uh, for Tony Cordasco, I'm Michael Smeltzer signing off. Go Blue. And we are back. Uh, that that gets you excited, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it's it's fun. We're already we got. Of course, we got East Carolina on the schedule. Um, we got. We, I don't want to get too far ahead here, but it's fun to be looking at UNLV next week. We'll dive into Bowling Green a little bit. Um, Lexi, thank you so much for being on the pod. Uh, where can people find you on social media? You know, we want people to be following you and and uh, let people know how they can find you. Yeah, so I'm uh, GoBlueLexi117 across all of my mains with Twitter, threads now. Hey, follow me on threads. <laughs> and then Instagram as well. Um, and then I also do um, betting videos for Win Daily Sports and like breaking news. It'll be really exciting coming into college football season and NFL for that. So yeah, just uh, follow me and follow them and that's where you can find me. Matt, where can people find you? Yeah, they can find me on my primary Twitter handle at Maze Crusader or any of the stuff that me and my awesome team are putting out at Maze and Brew. That's mazeandbrew.com or any of the stuff on their social media at Maze and Brew. Uh, what about you, Mike? Where can people find you, my friend? Well, man, uh, Lexi brought up threads. I, so Lexi is one of my four, 14 followers on threads right now. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of a big deal on threads. I just want to warn y'all. Uh, but no, twi- Twitter is my mainstay, at Wolverine Cron. I also have my website, WolverineChronicle.com, the YouTube channel, and then uh, some smaller you know, social accounts out there, including threads. But uh, man, what, an, what a dynamic, amazing, fun episode. Uh, We'll be back next week with some more Michigan football talk. As always, go blue. Go blue. Go blue.